so we've got four big issues we want to talk about this week. The killer cholera outbreak, and it seems that poor infrastructure is mainly to blame. The electricity minister is still playing the bridesmaid. Is the Zulu king striking out on his own? And here's a question. When is a biography unauthorized or not? Welcome to this week's ScrollerCast. I'm Jeremy Maggs, and with me, as always, political editor Zukili Majova, and we promise you another 20 minutes of conversation about the state that we're in. So let's talk firstly about the state of Hammanskral. It's been a long time since I was there, but I've seen the pictures of anger about this cholera outbreak. Zukili, as we record this podcast, a confirmed death toll of 15 people. The question I would put to you, having spoken to a number of other experts over the past 48 hours, Haman's Kral is the sharp end of the story, but this outbreak is not necessarily confined to Haman's Kral either now or potentially in the future because of the consequence of poor infrastructure. Jeremy, the story of Amman's crowd is a story of everywhere in South Africa and is about to be. I'm, I'm reminded of the situation in, uh, in Port Elizabeth. Just the infrastructure alone, if you can fix the infrastructure alone, you would not have a water crisis in that town. You can go to Durban. The problem of E. coli, well, that's probably because of the, of the floods. But in any case, the infrastructure was, was aging even there. Now, back to Amman's crowd. The anger there, it's, it's politically engineered anger and they are, they are pushing it at the wrong person, Celia's Brink, the person who's trying to help the new guy. The new guy was consulting everybody, doing the best that he can to try and help a situation that Just is very, very Just to remind our audience, um, Celia's Brink is the current mayor of Tswane. He's the current, yeah. he's the current mayor of Tswane. Really a young guy. He, he works very hard. He's a technocrat. He's, he works very hard. He's really, really pushing. I mean, we wouldn't push the name of a politician, not not by any chance. But look, this guy is almost like he's got the energy of, of purpose in, in Umgeni in the KZN. Whether that will, 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 will result in some really good positive results, that's a story for another day. He was very unhappy yesterday. The, the, the residents kicked him out. I thought that I, I could see that, that that was politically engineered. This situation goes back. I was reminded of how a while ago, um, current minister of electricity, who used to be the mayor of Tswane, said he, they had a budget of around 500 million rand and they were going to deal with this situation. Even before then, there were other budgets, 150 million rand here, you know, and the problem was not dealt with. So it's an old problem. It's, too, it, it, it's, it's, it's very in, uh, disingenuous for the ANC to be issuing statements and saying this is a DA problem. It, it has been there for a while. Everyone must take the blame. But also, the Department of, of, of Public Works, the, the guys, I mean, the guys who are managing the water, uh, Deputy Minister David Maslobo also said they have reports and this report and that. 
Jeremy, this is everybody's crisis and everybody has been involved in it. They are responsible for oversight, even if the municipality is managing the water project itself. They, they are responsible for oversight. When there is a situation, they must step in. This one, everyone has known for a while. On Twitter and everywhere, people have been taking pictures and videos of the water, the quality of the water. It's been horrible for many years, Jeremy. We seem to be very good at taking crises like this to the brink. And... I can't help but wonder to myself why we are unable to deal with issues like this timelessly. You've said that a couple of years ago the money was there, over half a billion rand, to fix the infrastructure, and yet nothing has happened. So is it again, uh, do we turn our attention towards uh, alleged malfeasance, or is it simply an inability to turn a plan into some kind of capacitated delivery. My sense is that it's probably a combination of both. Jeremy, what I've realized about running a country, it's very expensive, if, especially if you're going to keep nicking some of the money. You know, it's very expensive to run a country. We tend to do things last minute. You know, the, we are in this, in this uh, uh, light and energy crisis. We shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be here. We do last minute things. The, the, the Minister of Electricity was at, at Kusile yesterday. Those temporary chimneys that are supposed to be replacing the, the, the chimney that collapsed, they have not been installed yet. They have not even started installing them. You know, you saw giant chimneys just lying there on the ground and nothing is being done. These are chimneys that could give us, could save us from three stages of, of load shading and give us 3,200 megawatts of power. And everything is just moving at a snail pace, Jeremy. And we seem to be thrashing around in this vortex of empty promises because on the one hand, you've got the... Uh, Secretary-General of the African National Congress, Fakili Mbalula, saying that uh, load shedding will be over by Christmas. Hand on heart. Trust me, don't worry about it. Then you've got a more realistic view coming from the Minister of Electricity, Khosi uh, Ramakhopo, who says, no, it's actually going to be way beyond Christmas before we get this right. So it's playing with the country's emotions. One minute it's a roller coaster of optimism and negativity, but it comes back, I think, to this position of the Minister of Electricity. I made the point in the introduction to this conversation that he's the bridesmaid and no one seems to want to turn him into the bride that we desperately need to fix the problems, if you don't mind me mixing my metaphors. This is, and it, it seems to me that the closer we get to election year 2024, we're going to hear more of this and people contradicting each other and the result is just increased frustration as far as the populace is concerned. We really are over the abyss now. From where I'm standing, I mean, I've been doing politics for over 20 years as a reporter. In this case, it looked like they were looking for a, 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 a project manager of some sort, and they got a guy who really wants to do the job. Now, there's a problem. Because, you see, when you're doing something to window dress and you get somebody who wants to get the job done, you immediately have problems. Within the first few weeks, the guy realizes, I've got no powers to do anything here. If he's a project manager that is managing an existing project, you know, the plan is there. It's a question of executing that particular plan. He wouldn't need those so-called powers. But in this particular case, you've got two departments that are supposed to be doing the work. 
you know, the energy department and the public enterprises department, again, for the past two years, it's been a war between these two ministers, Minister Godan and Mr. and Ms. Kweramantash. This guy needs to be given the powers. Let's see him working. He cannot be a minister of site visits, and that's all he has done. He's trying to do site visits, encourage the staff, motivate the staff. He is motivating the staff at these, at these power stations, but very soon people are going to see but that he's got... motivating the staff... Exactly, in no time. On, for goodness sake. Yeah, in no time people are going to say, no, man, this guy does not have powers. You know, so even if... Well, already that's happening. Already that is happening. <laughs> then the whole thing is going to fall back because... This is tiring. When is the president going to make this decision? And again, whose power is he going to take and give it to who? So let's get back to Tainhuis then. Uh, again, it's a question of a deficiency of leadership at the very top level. At what point does the president call in the public enterprises minister and the minister of energy, bang their heads together and say, we can't afford this competition between the two of you and this constant prevarication because every time we experience the delay it's just shaving off points from our growth and that's the biggest funny part jeremy yesterday uh, minister amahupa told us journalists that they, that meeting actually happened he got the, the the three of them in the room what he didn't tell us is that they clearly did not agree you know, and, it's, and, and once again, he said, I'm hoping the president is going to give me those powers soon, as soon as it is re he's ready, etc., etc. But there was such a meeting, Jeremy, and it yielded no results. I'm interested in that briefing that Ramakhopa gave. Were you, gave. Were you in the same room? No, it was a, it was a virtual briefing. But, so again, same, same question. Will, will, how does he strike you? Does he strike you as someone who is perhaps bitten off more than he can chew? Or does he still... When he is addressing, you know, a hungry pack of media wolves, does he have a, does he still have a degree of optimism and confidence that we can get things done? Jeremy, this is a man who has a job to do and a lot of political hoops to jump through to get the job done. He has a lot of PR cleanup to do uh, from from the the story that was laid out by Andre Dureta. He, it has been given to him and put on his soldiers to try and rework that story into some sort of semi-positive story, you know. So he's, 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 he's in a bit, I mean, that should not be his job, you know. It's not his job to say there is no corruption, but he's being pushed to do that. Remember, he's a party man also. That's the, that's the other thing. He's a party man. He does need this political power. He does need this executive power, but that has pushed him into a corner increasingly he's, he's not going to become effective. He would be effective if he was pushing the project at hand, put, pushing the just transition uh, 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 project, he would be effective. But right now he's pushed in a corner. I don't think he's going to be very effective. I want to circle back to Haman's Kral if I can. Sure. Uh, it's about poor infrastructure. It's about lack of maintenance of aging and creaking pipes and as we've both agreed, it's not just into Haman's Kral itself. This is a metaphor for the rest of the country. Uh, a very respected and well-established water engineer in South Africa is Professor Anthony Turton. He was previously with the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research. I had a conversation with him a couple of hours ago, again, as just as we're recording this this podcast on a, on a Tuesday afternoon. The amount of money that is needed to fix 
the water infrastructure alone in this country uh, runs to around a trillion rand. What is more frightening is that it is a conservative estimate. We're just going to have to learn to live with the dilapidation. How do we do that? I don't know. But what I will say is that we are going to see a lot more of these outbreaks of cholera, not just confined, as we agreed, to Hammanskral, but to other areas as well. I think this particular issue is a real turning point, not only in the service delivery debate, uh, but also as to where we're going to find this money. We're not going to lay our hands on a trillion rand to fix water in this country, not by a long shot. We do have problems. That that sounds really bad, Jeremy. Look, I I keep worrying do about... Do you want to settle yourself with some more biltong? I keep worrying... By the way, we are eating biltong <laughs> as we record this podcast nervously because uh, it's the only way which, which we can get through it. <laughs> I seriously worry about the environmental factor, Jeremy. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you have E. coli in the water, I mean, really, this, this is concerning. You know, there's, there's a minister who at some point was very brilliant. His name is William Kize. He once dealt with the cholera outbreak in, 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 in KZ10 that was breaking into, in, into Southern Africa as well. I'm just reminded of that guy. Obviously, he disappointed me by getting his hand in the cookie jar, but once a very good minister. What you've also said is it's a question of finding capable people to fix it. But we've got to the point now as to whether the capable people actually want to be involved. And that is also frightening. I'm, I'm, I'm really scared, Jeremy. We can't in 2023, in, in, in a world-class city like Tswane, be talking about people not having cholera but dying. Dying of cholera. An outbreak. Numbers. I woke up oh, in the morning medieval. yesterday. It was six. It said six people. Yeah. With, within an hour, two hours, seven, eight, nine. I'm like, no, this is, this is madness. This is madness. This is unacceptable. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Drs. William Kesey and KwaZulu-Natal because it gives us a nice, as we say in the broadcasting business, it gives us a good segue into the next uh, topic of conversation. Um, and again, it's something that you've been following quite closely, um, the relationship between uh, the IFP's Mangasutu Butelezi, a new, young, vibrant, forward-thinking, from what I've read, Zulu King, is there a, a move to perhaps distance the two strong men in the province? If that's the case, how does that particular dynamic play out? It's a very interesting shift, And why is Jeremy? it important as well? Why do we need to worry about this? It's a very important uh, shift, Jeremy. Apparently tomorrow the king is going to address the, the nation at 6 p.m. about this particular uh, uh, fallout between himself and Mangosutu Butelis. The unfortunate thing about it is that he seems to be extricating himself from some political control and straight into the hands of the ANC, which, has already, which is already frustrating him, you know, Two weeks ago, he was complaining about how the ANC is controlling him. Wherever he goes, they have to have some MEC with him. The premier of KwaZulu-Natal is also there with him. And that creates an impression that he's captured. This, this king needs to be seen by his people to be independent. He needs to craft his own way and give out his own direction about where he's going with his kingdom. He has already done some very, very interesting thing. There's that board called the Ingonyama Trust Board, which is responsible for managing vast 
kilometers of land that belongs to the king that are leased out, whether be it to, to paper milling companies, whether it's sugarcane companies, resorts, uh, uh, various reserves in northern Zululand, all the way to Mpangeni, those resorts that are there, all the way to the badlands. There is a lot of, of, of money that is involved here. His father never even gave some kind of an audit about what was going on there because theoretically this land is being managed on behalf of the people. This guy came in and wanted an audit and found out millions were missing. Over the years, millions have been taken by the board, etc., etc. And he, he, he announced things that had never been heard, that he wants this report to be made public. People must know how much is in the kitty, how much is being made every year, and, and is, what, is, that, what is that money going to do? That, I mean, that is amazing. Has that angered Botelezi? Right now, the main fight is about King Misu Zulu's new chairperson of Ingonyama Trust. There is a local Inkosi, that Inkosi who got, who got married uh, uh, during um, uh, Easter, and people flocked into this popular wedding. We reported on it. There's a very flamboyant person, also quite young as well, you know, and Butelez is against the appointment, appointment of that guy. Why is he against he it? Is why, is his, why is his nose out of joint? This guy is part of people who want public scrutiny into this. And the king allows public scrutiny into his affairs. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a whole new change. So what potential for damage is there? What could Butelezi do to the royal household? You know, I, I was shocked to learn that he actually has been given so much powers as, as, as a traditional prime minister of... It, of sorry, that, that's what I was going to ask you. He, he's seen as something of a prime minister yes, to yes. the Zulu king. He, yeah? To the okay. Zulu king. He's been given so much powers. For instance, he is the one who appointed the lawyers that are supposed to represent the king now in this uh, legal fight at the high court here, here in Gauteng. Uh, Prince Simagade is still challenging the throne along with a small faction of the family that is still challenging the throne. When this fallout happened, Butelezi said he's not going to get those lawyers to file in responding affidavits unless you fire this new chairperson of Ingonyama Trust. The king said, okay, I am firing your lawyers. I'm getting my own new lawyers that are going to now run all the affairs of the king. Get your guys to get out. That's how far the fallout is. It's, it's just out there now. Does it have the potential for violence? Not necessarily. There has been a lot of violence over fighting for the throne itself. A dozen people are dead already. People were trusted, trusted men around the king and all of that. One would assume that with Butelez still close to the king, things were sort of manageable. People tend to misread things or they are deliberately allowed to misread things and become angry. We don't know what turn this is going to take. Already the security around the king has been changed. He, he used to have ordinary SAPS guys. He's now being guarded by the Presidential Protection Unit. That tells you that a security assessment has been done and all sorts of scary things have been picked up. Just a quick one. Does Butelezi have the support of the IFP in his conflict with the king? Or is he out on a limb? Butelezi now has the support of the IFP in everything. The only reason why the IFP is now no longer a 0.01% 
party is has been the rejuvenation of Mutelezi. His role since the the, 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 the the late king and and the late queen who are the parents of the current king passed. There was there was a, a leadership vacuum across the entire Zulu nation, and he he stepped out almost as a statesman to 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 to, to lead to lead that. That has given him a whole new life. Even in the IFP T-shirts during election now, they don't use the new president, uh, they use the pictures of, uh, of Mango Sutu Wutelez to campaign. So he's still a very, very powerful man. Just finally in, in our discussion, I'm just uh, going through my wallet. Um, I've just found 12.5 million rand. And I'm wondering, Zakili, if you'd write my uh, unauthorized biography. This is madness, Jeremy. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have been told over and over that people who write books never make money, you know, and, and, and they write it out of passion. I mean, there are, there are weird things coming out of this story, Jeremy. So let's just rewind very quickly. <laughs> you have a well-known political analyst, uh, Prince Mascheli. He wrote for a very well-known publishing house, Jonathan Ball Publishers, the so-called unauthorized biography of Herman Mashaba, uh, former mayor of Johannesburg, well-known entrepreneur, founder of Black Like Me, uh, and also the founder of Action SA, which has done remarkably well in a short space of time in local elections. It transpires that he had a, the Prince Mashile had a supporter, a colleague, a collaborator, who then spilled the beans and said uh, that Herman Mashaba had paid 12.5 million rand for his unauthorized biography. Jonathan Ball, the publishing company, didn't know about this. As we sit and record this podcast on a Tuesday afternoon, Jonathan Ball has now pulled the title saying that they were not informed that Mashile had been given money to do this, which gives a lie to the word unauthorized, because obviously Herman Mashaba, if he had sight of the manuscript, was making revisions and pulling the strings. It's a fascinating story. My question is, why is this important? Again, this is the problem of keeping it in the family. When you look at the names that are involved here, and the story is as you outline it, obviously, if the person, the subject matter is, is actually the one funding the whole thing, it's no longer an unauthorized biography by, by any stretch of the imagination. Now, uh, Prince Marcelle gave out an interview sort of updating us and, 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 and <laughs> explaining himself. And he says, no, he had a non-disclosure agreement with, Mash with, with, with Mashaba when they made this, this 12.5 million rand deal. So you couldn't explain that to Jonathan Ball. <laughs> Again, th this is nonsense. And he refused to, to credit the researcher that he paid 3 million to. He couldn't just credit in the book. There's just so much that doesn't make sense here, Jeremy. You know, I mean, the, this, this guy claims that he, he funds his own projects. Even this project, even in this 11th hour with all the crisis that's happening, this morning he said that 12.5 million was a 12.5 million rand loan that he still has to pay back. Even with the book off the shelves, he says, I am a man, I, can, I, I know how to make a plan. Now, Mashaba says initially he was supposed to raise this money and at some point he realized that he can't raise the money. So Mashaba said, no, it's fine, I'll, I'll pay for the book. And, and, and it did. There's just so many lies that are involved in this thing, Jeremy. It's just unheard of. The interesting thing about this is that it is a political tool 
for Herman Mashaba to use ahead of next year's election. The book, even though it was supposedly unauthorized, would probably have painted him in a good light, and that effectively becomes uh, a manifesto, a manuscript that, begin, that can be used for electioneering. It would be my sense that we're going to see a lot more of this grubbiness when it comes to politics ahead of next year. In this particular case, somebody got caught out, and it's a, it's a pity. It's a pity for, for Herman Mashaba. I mean, it, 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 it would be great. I mean, he's targeting the black middle class. A book like this would really, really uh, get, yeah. get that conversation. Just like Song, Songhezo's book has done a lot of that, of, of sort of launching him. I'm, I'm not sure he should have launched a political party. I disagree with that. But we now know who he is. We know where he's going. We know what his ideas are. A lot of us people in the black middle class agree with a lot of what he says. I'm not really sure he's going to get a lot of votes that, that, that he can be sure of. Probably he could have joined forces with Helmut Mashaba and they would have become a force. There's a lot of these black middle class characters that can join forces and become a serious uh, bulwark and sort of change things. You can see the change in the So air. what, prevents, you can smell them. what the prevents them from doing that? Everybody wants to be their own man. Why is Wolomisa still there hanging out on their own? He, he speaks a lot of sense. Wolomisa is no longer the, the military general that who, who used to be there and angry and using popularity and all of that. He's become very clear. He's got, he's got legal background to things that he presents in parliament. He, he, he does investigations that are often very good. This is a man that you now need in a, in a real political party, not a 1% political party, but he won't leave his political home. Which exhaustingly could bring us back to the moonshot pact that was proposed by the Democratic Alliance. But I have to tell you, neither of us at this point on a late Tuesday afternoon have the energy to talk about moonshot pact. This is too tiring, Jeremy. <laughs> so we're going to turn our attention to the biltong that our executive producer, Toby Shapshak, has kindly provided us. Hans Baumgarten is our technical director. This is uh, another edition of ScrollerCast from scroller.africa. Thanks as always for listening. By the way, if you like this conversation, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And daily, there is more content on scroller.africa. From both of us, goodbye. Thanks for listening. <laughs>